So I haven't told many embarrassing things up here other than the fact that I stole some baseball cards when I was little. I, I warned my mom on the phone about that and she cringed. She's like, what are you about to tell me? Told her I had to tell her something. But when I was little, um, my mom still gives me a hard time. I don't know how much this I'm actually going to share. But when I was little, I admired my father a lot. Like, I wanted to be exactly like him. And my mom still reminds me that on Sunday mornings, I would run in there into the bedroom as my dad was getting ready and say, Dad, what color are you wearing? What color shirt are you wearing? Are you wearing a polo shirt? Are you wearing a tie? What are you wearing? Are you wearing your navy blue pants? Are you wearing your black pants? Are you wearing your khaki pants? Are you dressing down this week? What color socks are you wearing? I gotta make sure I match. What color shoes are you wearing? Gotta make sure I match. Absolutely everything I wanted to match down to the smallest detail. I'm not gonna go into details, but I wanted to make sure that I matched. My mom still makes fun of me for this. But that's because I viewed my father as someone that I wanted to be like. Like, it's because I admired him. I wanted to be like him. Like, even, like, as we're going to look at today, that even though he is a broken, sinful man, I still saw the good. I wanted to be like him. And we all have various, various experiences of our earthly fathers. Like, those range, some very good, some very negative, some non-existent. But the point that I want to make, that regardless of this, I hope that we're going to point out the fact that, that God is a good father. It's going to be very similar to a point that Tanner made a couple weeks ago, that God is a good father, one that we can rely on. Last week we talked about, we eventually got to Matthew 7, verse 6. They talked about not giving dogs and pigs what is holy, not giving the pearl. So this beautiful gospel message, this salvation that we've been given, using it wisely, using it the way that God intended and the biggest point that I was hoping to make from that was that we don't know, like that's something that only God can show us, that it's only God's wisdom, only God's discernment that is ever going to show us how to move, how to act. Because as we look at other people, our views are always tainted by sin. Like no matter what we do, our views are tainted by sin. Our views are tainted by the world that we live in. Like we talked about last week, how do we rightly discern where we go to share the gospel? How do we even know? And like the biggest point there was we can't know. Like that cannot be something that we try to figure out ourselves. Like that is the wisdom that only comes from God. And like that's why I was so overwhelmed with the, the thought of preaching like, like that message last week. Like how are we supposed to know who is, the, who is it talking about that rejects the gospel? Who is it talking about that is the pig, is the dog? that it's referring to. Like, how do we know that? Because some people look so unlovable. Some people look so like they're rejecting the gospel, that they want nothing to do with it, that they are hostile to the gospel. But then God has a plan for their life, and God has a way that he reaches them and changes their heart. Like, I was thinking of the Apostle Paul and, like, his former life. Like, for those of you that don't know, like, this guy was going around killing Christians. Like, that was his main goal. Like, he was so, it said, zealous for the Jewish faith that he was going around killing Christians. Like, if there was a definition for someone who was hostile to the gospel, like, it was Paul. Like, those people we described last week, like, that was Paul. 
But we see that God had other plans, that God had plans to radically change his life, that God stepped in and said, no, I've got a bigger and better plan for him. And then like the, the idea that Jesus hangs, hung out with people that often that we would describe as hostile to the gospel, people that reject the gospel, people that don't seem religious. Like he hung out with, with beggars, he hung out with thieves on a cross, he hung out with tax collectors, he hung out with prostitutes. And these are people that he saw value in. So this whole thing, like, well, last week you said we need to be wise on where we go, which is true. That, like, that, that point stands. We need to beg God to show us where we are to go, how we are to preach, who we are to talk to, when we are to move on. But we need wisdom. Like, we need God to show us this. Like, that we are, we are worthless. We, we are unable to discern how to move without God's guiding like, that is where we have to start. That God is saying, I want you to rely solely on me and only on me as you move, as you go, as you don't go, as you share. So it's kind of with that mindset, I want to get into where we're at today in Matthew 7. Um, Matthew 7, 7 through 11 is where we're going to start. Matthew 7 says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if your son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask? Like, this is directly after last week, setting up this, like, how desperate we are for God to lead. But what I want to do, before we even get into this, like, I really want to clear up two big misconceptions, I think, or this verse is often used. Like, two, two ways in which I think this verse is often mentioned incorrectly. We kind of went there in CG a couple weeks ago, a month or so ago, about, isn't this promising that God is going to give you good things? Isn't this a promise that says, if you obey God, he's going to give good things to those who ask? Like, that's what it says. Like, is that not what it's saying? Like, this is one of those verses used, like Tanner mentioned this pool that he's mentioned numerous times. Like, isn't this saying that if you pray for a pool and ask God for a pool, God's going to give you a pool? Like, I want to make sure, like, that's not at all what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not obligating God to answer foolish, selfish prayers. Like, that's not at all what's going on here. I want to read James 4. I planned last minute to put them up here, try to be all techie and failed. Ben and I couldn't quite do it quick enough. But I'm going to read James 4.3. You don't have to flip there. You can if you want to. Um, James 4.3 says, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. It says that God is not obligated to answer a prayer that is selfish, that is, that is merely for us. And I think that that's something we need to know as we talk about this passage. And then look at verse 4, James 4, 4, right after this. He says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is in enmity with God? Therefore, whatever, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Like, Jesus is not promising the pool. He's not promising this, this thing that you always dreamed about, this physical thing. Like, that's not what this passage is saying. But something this, this passage is saying, 
Look at 1 John 5, 14 through 15. I'll give you a second to flip there if you want to. I'm going to get a drink. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. Verse 14 says, And this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. There's one part here that is absolutely crucial to this passage that kind of goes, talks about where we're going today. Three words, according to his will. Right? If we ask, it says if we ask anything, we have confidence that if we ask anything according to his will, that he hears us. Like Tanner talked about this back when talking about the Lord's Prayer. Like praying for God's will is always a good thing. We have confidence as we pray for God's will. God's going to answer that prayer every single time. But that's the thing. That's kind of the first thing I want to clear up before we get in, that, that this is not obligating God to answer selfishly motivated prayers. Another one that thought, another, there's a word in here that often gets confused. There's one single word in this passage back in Matthew 7 that often gets confused. Anybody have a guess what word is often defined in a very worldly way as we read it? Starts with a G. Good. Good. Like, this word, we often define this word good in a very human-centered way. Because I, I, what I think happens is often our definition of good and God's definition of good are not always the same. Because I think that we view things, we view things that are good, like our definition is something that makes us happy. Something that is tangible, something that we can feel, something that we love and that makes us feel loved. Like this, these are the things that are good. But I don't think God's definition of good always ends up being like this. Like, God's definition is so much different than ours. And I'm going to give you an example. We already talked about Paul's um, former life, his life of going around killing Christians. And we're going to talk about Stephen for a, sec- for a second. Stephen. So, this guy named Stephen was preaching the gospel, going around preaching the gospel to crowds and in front of the Jewish leaders, and they said, okay, they were so adamantly against it that they took him outside the city and stoned him. They, they threw rocks at him until he died. Like, that didn't look very good for Stephen. Like, that looked very bad for Stephen. If you would have told Stephen beforehand, hey, this is going to happen. His response probably was not, that is good. Just a guess. But here we see, like God sees the absolute big picture because what I want to do is flip to Acts 8. I'll give you a second again. I'm trying to get better about this. Giving you time to actually find it. Acts chapter 8. I'm going to read the first four verses. This is, this is stepping in right after Stephen is killed, right after Stephen is stoned. This is the very next verse, Acts 8, 1. It says, And Saul, same guy we talked about earlier, approved of his execution. 
And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. We said this looked very, very bad for Stephen. Stephen just lost his life. But you, you see God's big picture. God who views this from the outside. It says, because of Stephen's death, the church was no longer centered in Jerusalem, but was scattered throughout the region. It says those people that were scattered went about preaching the word. Those people that were scattered went out and planted churches. Like the, the letters that you read in the New Testament of the, to the churches, those are the churches that were planted as a result of this scattering. Like the church of Antioch that would be the one that would end up sending the drastically changed Paul out on mission. And that was all a result of Stephen's death. So I'm thinking now if I'm Stephen, looking back, like for one, he's with God. Like he's, he has no more worries. He's not concerned about being stoned. But do th- I think he would agree that how good of a plan this was. Because due to his death, the gospel spread drastically and quickly. So like, I don't want to say that, I want to say that God's good plan, that it says that God has good gifts, all this, doesn't always look great at the moment for us. Like, that's not the thing. Just because something bad's going to happen, bad's happening, doesn't mean that, oh, God's will's being thrown off. Like, not at all. Not at all. We need to trust that God sees the big picture, so much bigger than the way that we see it. This definition of good. I'm going to read Matthew 7 again. With these, with these two ideas in mind. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask of him? Like we said that Matthew 7, 1 through 6, these first six verses that we went through the last two weeks, shows like how much we need to rely on God. Because those things that it's saying, we cannot do. Those, really the whole Sermon on the Mount, actually. Like going back, like all of that we cannot do on our own. It talks about anger, overcoming anger. It talks about lust. We talked about loving our enemies, judging correctly, giving, delayed gratification, not worrying about the things of today. Like all of that leaves us in a place where you're saying, God, I cannot do this. Like all of it leaves like, God, I need to seek you. I can't rely on myself for this. And I think that's the place that we need to get. That's where what's talking about here is as we go to God, as we sense our need, we go to God as our stability because that's the only thing that is stable. That's the only thing that doesn't change. Like these words, ask, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. Like each one of these shows this, this posture of humility. This like, it doesn't say, Tell, find, open. 
Like, ask, seek, knock. Like, you're in a place of humility. And that place is what we've talked about the last couple of weeks. This place of feeling broken over your own sin. This posture of repentance that we talked about two weeks ago. Talking before we go to a brother. Like, we're in this posture of repentance. We're in this posture of brokenness. We're getting to this place where we realize how sinful we are, how needy we are. And like, it all begins that we're incapable to even have that conversation with God outside of, the, that, of a good gift from a good father. Like, in the Old Testament time, it would have been us going to a priest to offer a sacrifice for our sin. He would take it before God and offer a sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. Like, we were incapable to do this. But the good gift of the Father, this, this gift of Jesus, this gift that His death allowed us to go directly to God, like, that's the biggest gift we've already been given, just to be able to have this conversation, just to be able to take our needs, be able to take our desires, be able to take ourselves before God. But you don't ask if you don't realize you're in need. Right? Like, you don't go someone to ask for help if you don't think you need it. So we've got to realize our need. And hopefully the last couple of weeks kind of made that clear. What about seeking? Like, doesn't seeking sound a little more active, a little bit more like, you've got to go and do? I, th- I think it's kind of yes and no. Because just because we trust in God, just because we say, God, I'm relying on you, doesn't turn us in just to like passive sit back and watch kind of people, right? Like, just because we say, God, I trust in you to provide, doesn't mean we sit on our couch and wait. Uh, something I read this week, it was showing the example of like looking for a job. Like you pray and ask God, God, give me a job. I need a job to provide. God, I need you to give me a way to provide. But you don't pray that prayer and then sit on the couch. You go, you, you apply for jobs, you're sending out resumes, you're putting out applications, you're making uncomfortable phone calls, follow-up phone calls that are awful to make. Like, you're doing all this stuff, and that's not showing a lack of trust. I feel like that's showing, that is showing trust. Like, you're seeking after it, knowing that God is going to provide, knowing that He is the giver, but we don't sit back and just watch. Like, we actively seek What about knocking? I read one writer this week that said that this knocking will be open to you is promoting, that says that door-to-door evangelism is the only way to do it. Because it says knock and it'll be open to you. That's not what I'm saying. That's what it said. Um, like, I don't think that's kind of what it's getting at here. But you see this persistence. You see this persistence in knocking. So my stool's gone. I don't know where it went. I was going to actually use it. Does anybody outside of, I know Tiffany and Tanner do, watch the Big Bang Theory? No? No? Wow. Like, I'm picturing Sheldon going to the door going, Penny, Penny. Like, this person going to the door, obnoxiously knocking, waiting for an answer. Like, obnoxiously knocking, waiting for an answer. That example would have been so much better if more people listened to it. Um, Or watched that show. But you see this persistence. This persistence, it's going to God saying, God, it's so much more than a help me today. Oh, just help me get through today. Help me get through today. Because if you read the Psalms, like 
There's so many different kinds of psalms. You see repentance, you see confession, you see thanksgiving, you see all-out worship, you see supplication, you see all these different kinds of psalms. But what you see is persistence. You see them begging God for the same thing over and over because they know of their great need. Flip to Psalm 27. I really thought there were so many different psalms I considered using And Psalm 51 is a great one. We went through that a couple weeks ago. Just this persistent begging of David to God. Begging God to change him and give him a clean heart because he knows he he can't do it. He knows that. But I'm going to start in verse 7 in Psalm 27. Listen to this. He says, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, Seek my face. My heart says to you, Your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. And let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Like, this is so much more than just a, God, help me get through today. This is a, God, I need you. People are against me. Like, he says he cries aloud and God says, seek my face. And he's saying, I'm seeking your face. What now? Like, help me do it. I don't know. You just see the persistence over and over. You see David saying the same things over and over because he knows that he's in need, that that's not even something he can do on his own. And this is the same idea we have in Matthew. Like this idea in Matthew 7, this asking, seeking, knocking, it's not just a, oh yeah, go to God with what you need, but it's a, go to God with what you need. Like he's the only source of stability. Tanner, a couple weeks ago, talked about God as our good, good Father who knows what we need as we went through the Lord's Prayer. And this is exactly the same idea. But he's comparing these to earthly fathers. He's comparing these to earthly fathers who are sinful, who are broken. No matter how much we may idolize them, no matter how much we may want to be like them, in my case, trying to be like my father growing up, like no matter our relationship with our fathers, that the, the fatherhood, that this God as father, completely knocks it out of the ballpark. Like there is no comparison to God as father and our earthly fathers. No matter our relationship, no matter how poorly we view our earthly fathers, or no matter how good we view our earthly fathers. Like it says that even earthly fathers who are evil, desire to give good things. Not necessarily just physical things, but desire to give things, to, to do good. Like It gives the example, like this, an earthly father is not going to give exactly opposite of what the child is asking for. If that is the case, like, if that is the case, then how much more can we rely on God as a heavenly father, as a perfect father, as a father that created, as a father that made us? And I don't want to limit that 
that what, what are we trusting God to provide in? Like, we, we can't limit that because if we, you can go like from the big to the small. Like, you've got, you can trust God for the air you breathe, for the place you sleep, for what you wear, the food you eat, for however much you have or however little you have. Last week, we talked about the worth of knowing Jesus. The worth, like this beautiful pearl, this, this prized salvation, this, this good gift that God has given, that God has made a way for when, when we absolutely had no way. And like that, that whole idea last week of this beautiful gift of salvation, like that was made by a good gift of a good father. I mentioned this earlier. That this salvation was a good gift of a good father who, who knew exactly what we needed. We're going to sing about that in a little while, but that it was a good gift. Like the, it says that God provided when we had absolutely zero way. We had absolutely no way to provide. Absolutely no way to make up for our sins. Absolutely no way to ever be saved. But a good gift from a good father that was salvation. And here God is saying, trust me. Trust me for your wisdom. Trust me for the discernment you need. Trust me for the next meal you eat. Because no matter if you have zero physical possessions, you have nothing in the world. Even then, you have a good Father who knows what you need. Like Even then, you have a good Father who has provided your biggest and only need. He's provided salvation. He's provided you a way to have hope outside of your current circumstances. Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, 4-5. through five. Ephesians 2 is talking about how awful we were, how dead in our trespasses we were, how sinful we were. But listen, but God, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Like, because of his great love with which he loved. Like, this was his ultimate gift of salvation. Like, this was the ultimate gift of a good father. Like he's saying, if you can rely on me for this, if I've provided you this, how much more should you rely on me for absolutely everything, for our every need? I was thinking, like, if you ever doubt the faithfulness of God, if you ever doubt the way that he comes through every single time, in the big and the small, like, go back and read the Old Testament. Because... I said this last week. As we went through the Old Testament at the end of last year, and as we've gone through it on Sunday nights, like time and time and time again, you see God providing when he shouldn't have. When we deserved so much the opposite. Like you see God providing faithfully for Adam and Eve in their rejection of God, in their complete rejection. You see God providing for Abraham in the gift of his son. You see him fulfilling the promises that he made. You see, the, you see him being faithful to, pro, to provide and protect Joseph in spite of the brothers wanting to kill him. You see 
God being faithful to Israel and taking them out of slavery. You see Him being faithful to Israel in the wilderness when they were completely rejecting Him. The prophets, same thing. People rejecting God, God providing for them. You see that time and time again, how faithful He, uh, he is when we are just so far from deserving it. And like time and time again, He proves Himself to be this Father who knows what we need even when we don't know that we need it. He proves to be a father that is not going to break promises because anything else that we rely on, absolutely anything else that we rely on, is broken. Has a chance to fail. People break promises. People lie. People are going to, in their best intention, let you down. We're saying that we rely on God. Like We do it through constant, persistent, humble prayer. We, we take it before Him everything. But it doesn't end there. Like, we beg God for His will to be done. I mentioned that earlier. Like, we ask Him to make us more like Jesus. Because that's the, that big word, sanctification. That's becoming more like Jesus. As He makes us more like Jesus... we're able to see that it's only Him doing it. Philippians 1.6 says, And I am sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. Like This is Him working. This is not us becoming more like Jesus. This is God making us more like Jesus. And once we realize that, once we realize that God is making us more like Jesus, we realize more and more the way that we can trust Him. Last week I mentioned the, the small words in the Bible that mean so much. Those little two, three-letter words that can mean so much. So we just read that. That God is a good Father. That we are to take everything before Him and He desires to give good gifts. He desires to provide. And He promises to provide. But then look at verse 12. It says, So... Bet you didn't think I was getting to verse 12. He said, So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophet. So, because of this, so this is how you respond. Jesus is starting to wrap up his Sermon on the Mount. He's starting to end it. He's starting to bring it to a conclusion. And he's going to start calling for a response. He's going to start saying, either you believe in me or you don't. Like, after all this I just taught, after this I said who I am, I'm, he's going to call for a response. But part of the response of, the, that, of us that have been changed by Jesus, that have been made new, is that we treat others with the same grace that we've been given. And then after the Lord's Prayer, he said, so forgive others, the same way that you've been forgiven. Like, our response to others should be shaped by God's response to us. We said earlier that His response to us was completely undeserved. That it, that it was exactly the opposite that we deserved. But God chose to reconcile us. This, he decided to step in and change things. That's why Christ reconciled church, that we were made right through Jesus. And the more and more we realize that, the more and more we realize that good gift 
of a good father, the more and more that our response is going to be to trust him with absolutely everything and respond to others that same way. Psalm 23 is a well-known psalm. And there's one line in it that says, You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. It's in verse 5. My cup overflows. Like, this cup that's overflowing is how good God has been to us. No matter how we view our external circumstances, no matter how we see the physical things we have, we realize that God and His good plan provided for us a salvation that we could never get. So this cup that overflows is His love, is His goodness as we treat others the same way. I just pray that, that, that through this we realize that God is the one we need. Like, no matter how, what else the world promises, no matter what else we say, oh, I need that, I can rely on that, I can rely on the money I have saved up, I can rely on my friends to back me up, I can rely on all these other things. That None of that, none of that is able to ultimately fulfill. And God says that he will, that, that he is a good father. That's how he describes himself. And that's how Jesus describes him here. As we take everything before God in prayer, as we can con consistently remember and see how faithful he is to us time and time again in spite of our rebellion, in spite of our choosing our own ways, I just pray that we would respond accordingly. Respond in repentance and respond in praise. Respond in love towards other people even. And as we look at the goodness of God, this, this, this song that we're going to sing, Good, Good Father, I asked Tanner to do it again. He asked Nick to do it. I figured I'd ask him to do it. Like, I did not see the beauty of this song. Like, when I first started hearing it, it was like, okay, that's being overplayed so much. Like, I wasn't even listening to it because I thought it was just another song that became popular and then they play it every other song on the radio. But then I went and actually looked at the words. And like, the more and more I look at it, the more and more I see how beautiful it really is. Like, actually, before we sing it, I, I want to go through the lines of the song. This is the second verse. Oh, I've seen many searching for answers far and wide, but I know that we're all searching for answers only you provide because you know just what we need before we say a word. You are a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I am loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. Because you are perfect, in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways to us. Like this is the God that we get to sing to. This is the God that we get to respond in thanksgiving to. Because of what he's done for us. Because he knows just what we need before we even have to ask him. Like we get the joy to ask him. We get the joy to go before him. And the answers that we're all searching for are ones that only He can provide. Like God says, rely on me. Stop relying on everything else. Stop relying on everything else. Rely on me. Let's pray.